When a diagnosis of dementia Alzheimer's is made, where can caregivers go for information? How can more effective communications help people better face the challenges of caregiving? This is Campus on the Common, the podcast of bright ideas from Emerson College's School of Communication. Broadcasting from Boston, Massachusetts, I'm Emerson College alumnus and professor of communication studies, Mark Brody. Campus on the Common provides an expert view into the field of media and communication through the lens of academic experts and industry professionals from Emerson and beyond. In this episode, we'll talk with Dr. Scott Ratson, a medical doctor and senior fellow at the Mosavar Rahamni Center for Business and Government at the Harvard Kennedy School. He's also a senior scholar at the SUNY Graduate School of Public Health and Health Policy, as well as the Editor-in-Chief, Journal of Health Communications, International Perspectives. Dr. Scott Ratson, welcome to Campus on the Common. At present, there are 5 million people with Alzheimer's and dementia. There are 15 million caregivers for these same people. Where can caregivers go for resources in order to best enable them to take care of their loved ones? Thank you very much, Mark, for asking a very important question uh, of how we deal with issues such as Alzheimer's dementia today in America. Unfortunately, it's one of these diseases that takes an incredible amount of both energy, resources, and time for people that, frankly, are not trained of exactly what to do in this case. Because of the nature of Alzheimer's and dementia, the burden does not fall on the doctor nor the person with the disease, but the caregiver. And that's where I think the challenges are in today's society. While we don't have medicine to treat this, and we frankly don't even have early diagnostics that can help us prepare, we really have to focus on what to do to help people with this disease in a way that they could still function in society and also share the love and beauty that is inside them rather than necessarily the disease that seems to be presenting in ways that are not totally understood. Caregiving is something that, frankly, we all think we can do, but there's no formal training in it. So while we usually have a disease, and I'm trained as a physician where one goes through years and years of training, not only from university to medical school to clinics, but there's also licensing and a number of scientific exams. In the case of Alzheimer's and caregiving, people need to to learn to try to do this both from their heart and from society. The resources are not so simple. They're not easy to find. And frankly, here in Massachusetts, there's some of the best resources, but one has to seek them out. Overall, I think caregiving is probably something that is not respected enough. It's almost a three-to-one ratio for the number of people that have this disease for the number of caregivers that are there. There's no former licensure like a nurse or social worker or physician or pharmacist. But there is knowledge that needs to be uh, acquired, and there is a skill that could be helped through a public health system and a society that ought to be more caring, if I should say, and nurturing rather than necessarily medicalizing this disease. So if we put ourselves in the shoes of somebody that's just found out that they're a caregiver, there's been a diagnosis, their loved one needs needs attention, needs to be taken care of, what do they do? Where do they go? What type of resources are, are available in Massachusetts? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a very important question of what one can do. And I would say, while I'm very happy to be here at Emerson College, and my background is in health communication, So how do we link the communication of what we can do well 
such as linking with individuals, linking with families, linking with society, linking with policymakers to the actual reality of people's life in, in health and well-being. Uh, here at Emerson, of course, you look at it a lot of different ways. So there's use of podcasts, there's use of, of new technologies, whether it's on your phone, on the web, uh, listening to the radio, sharing uh, all the other parts of life from music and art. Yet, when you want to find out what it is like to be a caregiver, what's the first step? I think your question is right, that you need to be able to ask the physician or someone in the health area. There's a dementia collaborative uh, here in Massachusetts General Hospital, and I know you have some of those people coming on for podcasts in the future. They may be a little bit more specific about what one does locally, but I think one of the most important pieces is to be able to take an inventory of your personal network, your family network, and then, of course, the network that you hope to engage uh, with both other caregivers that are often done through the associations, but also what to do with the, the healthcare facility and the, the hopeful physician and uh, health group that will help navigate through this very difficult disease. It sounds like there's plenty of information out there. The problem is accessing the information, is finding what is a particular resource for my particular situation. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There are a lot of resources, but what good are the resources if they're, one, not accessible, or two, they don't really apply in your given case? So one could go to clinicaltrials.gov and read, if you're college educated or sometimes you even need a PhD to figure out what these clinical trials are doing, uh, excuse me, what these clinical trials are doing, because such trials uh, might meet the criteria for medical research that the National Institutes for Health want to support, but it might be meaningless in your given case. And a lot of people think, oh my gosh, what can we do? Where's the cure? Where's something that I can do to change the disease? But in reality, right now in 2019, we can't change the course of the disease. We might be able to slow it down. We might be able to make it better for people living with dementia and their families, but we need to help get those resources in ways that are actionable, translatable, and usable. What are some of the challenges that caregivers face that might be resolved through better communications? Well, I think the whole idea of dementia literacy, of what the expectations are. What are the expectations for any given day or any given moment? Uh, I would not say that anyone, um, and I'm not an expert in living with people with dementia nor caregivers per se, and I say that because I don't know that anybody can be the expert for the individual. Uh, this is a disease, but yes, that affects 5 million people in this country. Uh, it's the next tsunami or public health crisis that's probably as big or bigger than how cancer was years ago or how HIV was. And the world doesn't know exactly what to do with it right now. So. Uh, all of the resources that we can garner to help caregivers figure out, one, how they can both live their life. They also have to worry about their own health and well-being uh, and need the kind of support to be able to speak to other caregivers. As the question is, uh, what can we all do that's similar? There are a lot of parts that are similar, such as helping with activities of daily living, of you know, trying to, to be in the moment at the time, to try to, to uh, have the... the uh, heartfelt connections that are really there and not think of the disease as the only part that one is caring for. When people first find out that they're in a position where they must become a caregiver, 
Is there a standard path that they follow? Obviously, everybody's individual and they have different specific circumstances, but are, are there general paths, mm -hmm. if you will, a step one or a phase one, two, three, that a caregiver would typically follow as they're navigating this world of caregiving within Alzheimer's and dementia? Right. Well, you know, thanks again for really being able to focus on the caregiver and the diagnosis is often given to the patient when there's a doctor-patient relationship, but then it's a person living with the Alzheimer's dementia and the caregiver living with the person. It's no longer a medicalization. And unfortunately, physicians aren't fully trained in this area and only about half actually know about the diagnosis. Is it mild cognitive impairment, which often progresses to dementia early on, or as somebody present in the medical facility with a dementia? So I'm, I'm answered in a in kind of roundabout way because how does one find out they're a caregiver? It's, it's, not, it's not a simple test. So sometimes it evolves. And I think one of the best things that caregivers could do is one, find out as much information as they can about the reality of the diagnosis. Uh, all dementias are not the same. Uh, people that get it at a younger age, often called early onset dementia, versus young onset or younger onset dementia, which means some different things to different people. And then those who are over a certain age, and in, in this country we say older at 65, whether it's a medical reason or frankly the Medicare age reason, uh, but older onset dementia also follows a different course. So the understanding, and that's why I'm coming back to a dementia literacy, understanding what the disease is will also help on how the care is developed. And those resources do exist. They exist with associations. They exist with, with uh, governmental level activities. And hopefully, I think more and more of these activities are also being fostered through these kind of discussions, which people can listen to on their own, online or related interaction they can have with other experts through the typical, whether it's phone or other areas, or probably more importantly, for people to be able to tell stories about what they go through, uh, how they're living with there are other friends who are okay when they're together uh, to talk about what it's like to care for someone with dementia, have their own stories, uh, as well as, as answers from other people that are the experts as caregivers, uh, also being able to share what they've gone through. When we look at the, the term Alzheimer's and dementia, it sounds like it means different things to different people. So let me ask you as a medical physician, what is Alzheimer's? What is dementia? How does the spectrum work? Right. Well, I know uh, that's, that's the age-old question, and I can certainly look for the, uh, the definition. And people want to say, what does it really mean? Is it you know, the, the cognitive decline? Is it uh, the uh, neurons which are, are no longer working in the way that, that they are supposed to? Is it normal aging, or is it what you know, used to be called hardening of the arteries. And the definition is, is very clear. And, you know, if helpful, I'll, I'll actually read it directly here because I think the NIH definition might be uh, the one that, that we really should use at this, at this juncture. Uh, when you do speak to many psychiatrists, neuropsychiatrists, neurologists, and so forth, they also have other, other diagnostics. But when you look at the basics, the first piece that it reminds us is the progressive brain disorder that slowly destroys memory and thinking skills and eventually the ability to carry out the simplest tasks. Alzheimer's is the most common type of dementia, but many of them also are caused by what we call vascular dementia, which is when you just have less oxygen 
to parts of the brain and the brain neurons or the brain cells actually no longer function or to use the word die. And that then blocks the ability for uh, brain skills. So whether it's a, a Lewy body dementia or other ones that have uh, eponym diseases after people who have described them. And frankly, that's what Alzheimer's is. It was originally described by uh, Professor Alzheimer as a constellation of symptoms that then later became this disease that 15 million people are, have been diagnosed around the world today. The actual fact sheet, you know, really tries to remind people on what dementia is and Alzheimer's that the NIH puts here, which I think is helpful to explain to people. The fact that it is the most common makes people think that all dementia is Alzheimer's and all dementia is, is not curable. And that is not always the case uh, of all dementias. Uh, there are different pieces that, that can be done, uh, but unfortunately, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's something that requires social, social interaction. So with the different types of dementia, including Alzheimer's, would there be different treatments? And from the caregiver's perspective, would there be different ways of taking care of their loved ones depending on the type of dementia and or Alzheimer's? Yes. If one looks at the spectrum of how dementia presents, oftentimes it's mild cognitive impairment, which when we say cognitive impairment, we talk about you know, people's ability to uh, complete tasks and remember discussions like we might have had like five, five minutes ago. Uh, oftentimes you get vision issues. Uh, oftentimes it's uh, other parts of the brain. Uh, but when the actual diagnosis happens, it, it has a diagnostic with cerebral spinal fluid. Uh, it has a diagnostic which could be there with some genetic markers and other areas. And the cognitive skills often can go for what they would call mild Alzheimer's to moderate. And then some of the, the pieces of the moderate nature that get worse are how one controls language. Some people speak a lot. Some people don't speak. Uh, some people are unable to, to match both tasks and words and names with you know, how they've conditionally been. And then it gets to a point where it could be severe in nature where, you know, unfortunately, oftentimes people can no longer have their activities of daily living and they don't just need caregiving as in helping one navigate through a day of when to eat and when not to eat, but also the daily tasks that might, one might have to do with other health and hygiene and uh, the, uh, the other pieces that are important in, in daily life. Oftentimes when those get severe, people go into institutions, and I say the institutions could be anything from a memory clinic, which is often called in, in this country, to uh, nursing homes and then homes that often are just for people uh, with more uh, mental deterioration, including Alzheimer's, but some of them could be from strokes can cause, you know, dementia as well, and other areas that require, in most cases, you know, licensed workers, although caregivers are still there uh, with the, the health uh, professionals. If you start to notice a family member who might be presenting some of the symptoms of a dementia or Alzheimer's, is there a protocol that one should take, perhaps some form of testing or benchmarking? Are, are there any recommendations in terms of what the family could do in a potential Alzheimer's or dementia situation? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'd, I think you're asking a, a very important question of what the family should recognize. I would say uh, the challenge is not making the even want to use the word mistake uh, where it want, wants to deny it, 
but also not making the decision to point it out in such a way that it seems like a, a sentence to, um, to lose one's ability to be in control. And as you know, in the communication field, we think about a lot of, of different areas, like locus of control. Do you have control of your life? Do you have control of what you decide to do every day? And the sad part about dementia and this kind of mental disease is people lose their, their locus of control. They have to rely upon others to maybe perhaps navigate through the day. Uh, they have to uh, recognize their, their cognitive uh, challenges and changes. And uh, we have to be quite careful about how we communicate that. If it happens to someone in their, their 50s uh, while they're working, that it was recognized by his boss, and there's been some videos on it and so forth that's interesting. I don't want to take any of the personal experience away, but um, you know, the person that might not have been recognized at home because it was slow, but over the course of a year, when looked at their performance in the workplace and saw, oh, they weren't able to perform at the same level, that was the beginning of, of some mild cognitive impairment and the beginning of Alzheimer's. Now, should the family do something right away, uh, or should the workplace do something? That is, I think, a really big challenge that society has to face. And, and Mark, here at Emerson, I think people have to talk about the ethical component. Do you want to take a mild cognitive exam every year or any cognitive exam that then your employer has and says, oh, well, you're going to be getting some sort of dementia at some point, not if, but when, or not when, but if, depending on how it is, that you then want your employer to know and then you have in this society a mental health stigma that's there or a stigma for this dementia. So while we're talking about caregiving, which is probably still the most important, we have to deal with the stigma. Why are 50% of the people not hearing their diagnosis? Why are caregivers ashamed to tell society that their husband or loved one or spouse or mother or father has dementia? When I was growing up and I'm not that old, I could say, but it used to be when somebody would have cancer, you would say, oh, they have cancer. It just was like you didn't whisper. You didn't want to say it because people would be scared or they would think that they would die or decline. Now we know we can cure cancers, many of them. And if somebody has cancer, people rally behind. How do we help you find the best care? How can we you know, bring science to bear? Well, we need to do the same with Alzheimer's and dementia because this is so important for society not to have it as a whisper, not to have it as a stigma, not to have it behind the curtain. When you look at cancer and you look at the health communication practices that address that stigma, what elements within those forms of health communication could we deploy within the realm of dementia and Alzheimer's? Well, you know, look, I, I said I wasn't that old, but in the 1970s, it was Richard Nixon who put the war on cancer. People thought that was crazy. You know, we had a moonshot, though, in the 60s, and we got there, and we would have loved to have the cure to cancer. But cancer is so broad, and there's more cancers that we had since the 1970s. We need to have a level of research, caring, sharing, and communication like we've had on cancer with, with Alzheimer's. When Ronald Reagan died of Alzheimer's dementia, you thought, or one thought at that time, wow, this is going to be the opening. People are going to say this is something that we can do something about. But Ronald Reagan is just one of millions, or was just, just one of millions, that unfortunately has had this disease and unfortunately had a decline that 
was evident to some people and then was not evident at all and they didn't want him to be engaged after his presidency. Uh, so I, I, I hate to say that we need celebrities because I don't think it's just celebrities. I don't think this is traditional like it's been with everything else in the health communication field. Although if you look at what the health communication field had done with HIV AIDS, and you think of what happened in the 1980s when you know, first, unfortunately, a lot of people died. Uh, we had activists engaged in marches and government to put money behind it. We found, we found cures, we found treatment. I think we need to find the same thing for Alzheimer's. And the fact that doubling of the, the budget certainly has, has been there, but doubling from small to sm a little bit bigger than small, whatever, I wouldn't say medium yet, but uh, we need millions, we need billions. Uh, and we've had the best minds be behind this. There's Nobel laureates working on this, but we don't have the answer yet. And part of the basis is we don't have the pure science where we have it exactly knowing what, these, what causes these amyloid tangles or the tau or whatever it might be that we see in Alzheimer's, uh, the brain of people with Alzheimer's, but we don't know where to stop it or how to limit the progression or figure out ways to reverse it. Those are just some fundamentals of where we are today in the world. The cause, the care, the cure, and I think what's most important about what Emerson can do is the communication of those elements and the advocacy to put multidisciplinary approaches is why this is such an important element for people studying the field of communication. All of us will be ultimately caregivers and all of us are at risk for living longer, which is, and usually you wouldn't say a risk, but as one lives longer, you have a larger risk of, of Alzheimer's and that's why we see so much more of, of dementia and uh, Alzheimer's in society today. I'd like to dive a little deeper into the stigma element, and I'm wondering, in the United States, we seem to have a bias against mental health issues in general. When we look at HIV AIDS, when we looked at the cancer and, and the fight on of both of those diseases, those were more of a physical ailment. But now we've got an existing bias against mental health. We have a physical disease that harms the mental well-being of an individual. I wonder, is there a parallel between our bias against mental health issues and Alzheimer's and dementia. The mental health stigma issue does require a societal approach. In Europe, mental health is not as stigmatized, nor is our disabilities, both physical and mental disabilities, stigmatized as they are in the United States. Why is that? There's a whole constellation of, of reasons, including solidarity for neighbors. Uh, perhaps it even goes back to some re religious backing in certain communities. But it's unfortunate in this country that we basically do have mental health that has been stigmatized for quite some time. So even while I was in medical school, I did uh, study psychiatry, and there are different treatments that we've had for whether it be you know, depression all the way on to, as you mentioned, infectious disease. I think as we're able to explain it more, that it's not just normal aging, and we're able to explain the whole spectrum of mental health, we will be better off. Uh, we even don't pay for it equally in this country, so the, the policies of mental health parity, that even if you will get the same deductible or uh, payment terms, whether it's with Medicaid or Medicare or your private insurance that one might have, uh, it's taken, that's taken some time, and it's only during the last Obama administration that we were even to have parity passed on the federal level. So 
I, I'd say, Mark, the, the communication of the stigma, we can certainly do it and try to normalize it through the ways that we've done well with radio and television and social media, and it's okay to talk about it. Just like, you know, if I could say we've been able now to talk about and give labels to lots of other pieces that used to be under the carpet or behind the, uh, the curtain. So I think I like to challenge your listeners, how can you get over stigma, that it's okay to be a caregiver, that it's okay not to whisper that so-and-so uh, is living with dementia, but that so-and-so is my mother, father, brother, sister, husband, wife, friend, spouse, partner, whatever term you use, and there's still that person that now has some symptoms, and we've got to figure out how to care better for them. Dr. Scott Radson, three takeaways for your audience. Well, you know, first of all, we all need to be aware of the challenges that we face in society today with Alzheimer's dementia. Uh, the fact that one in six of us, the cost to society are billions and billions of dollars, both for the United States with 250 billion plus to individuals of what it costs for your family and preparedness. That's number one. We need to be aware of the situation. Two, we need to think about those economic consequences. And it could be, am I able to understand the need for, which we haven't spoke about today, long-term care insurance, what the state can and can't do for me, whether it's Medicaid, Medicare, or the ability to access caregivers or associations or other support services. And then three, I think, which is probably most important for us today, and is how do we communicate this? How do we communicate cause, cure, and care in a way that we're a society that cares about our citizens? And that requires a whole constellation of ideas and actions. So again, awareness, dealing with the economic situation, and then communicating and overcoming the stigma that we face in society today. We spoke with Dr. Scott Ratson, a medical doctor and senior fellow at the Mosavar Romney School for Business and Government at the Harvard Kennedy School. I'm Emerson College alumnus and professor of communication studies, Mark Brody. We had studio help from David Craighead and editorial direction from Andrew Cassidy. Campus on the Common is a production of Emerson College School of Communications. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.